Section 2 of Global Trends 2030, Alternative Worlds by National Intelligence Council. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island. Chapter 1, Megatrends, Part 1. Chapter 1, Megatrends. Four overarching megatrends will shape the world in 2030. Individual empowerment, the diffusion of power, demographic patterns, the growing nexus among food, water, and energy in combination with climate change. These trends exist today, but during the next 15 to 20 years, they will deepen and become more intertwined, producing a qualitatively different world. For example, the hundreds of millions of entrants into the middle classes throughout all regions of the world create the possibility of a global citizenry with a positive effect on the global economy and world politics. Equally, absent better management and technologies, growing resource constraints could limit further development, causing the world to stall its engines. Underpinning the megatrends are tectonic shifts, critical changes to key features of our global environment that will affect how the world works. Megatrend 1. Individual Empowerment Individual empowerment is perhaps the most important megatrend because it is both a cause and effect of most other trends, including the expanding global economy, rapid growth of the developing countries, and widespread exploitation of new communications and manufacturing technologies. On the one hand, we see the potential for greater individual initiative as key to solving the mounting global challenges during the next 15 to 20 years. On the other hand, in a tectonic shift, individuals and small groups will have greater access to lethal and disruptive technologies, particularly precision strike capabilities, cyber instruments, and bioterror weaponry, enabling them to perpetrate large-scale violence, a capability formerly the monopoly of states. Individual empowerment will accelerate substantially owing to poverty reduction and a huge growth of the global middle class, greater educational attainment, and better health care. The growth of the middle class constitutes a tectonic shift. For the first time, a majority of the world's population will not be impoverished, and the middle classes will be the most important social and economic sector in the vast majority of countries around the world. The ability of individuals to affect governance will be enabled by many existing and yet-to-be-developed communications technologies. Despite the greater empowerment of individuals, Many will not feel secure owing to intensified competition for jobs. Today, about 1 billion people globally are living in extreme poverty, earning less than $1.25 a day, and 1 billion are undernourished. The number of those living in extreme poverty globally has been relatively stable for a long time but the rate has been declining with population growth. Significant numbers of people have been moving from well below the poverty threshold to relatively closer to it, 
due to widespread economic development. Absent a global recession, the number of those living in extreme poverty is poised to decline as incomes continue to rise in most parts of the world. The number could drop by about 50% between 2010 and 2030, according to some models. Numerical declines of those living in extreme poverty in East Asia, notably China, have already been substantial, and the number is expected to drop further owing to rapid economic growth. The numbers are also expected to drop rapidly in South Asia and the Middle East, as well as North Africa. In Sub-Saharan Africa, however, the average person living in extreme poverty will remain about 10% below the extreme poverty threshold during the next 15 to 20 years. Quote, we see the potential for greater individual initiative as key to solving the mounting global challenges during the next 15 to 20 years, end quote. Under most scenarios, except the most dire, significant strides in reducing extreme poverty will be achieved by 2030. However, if a long global recession occurred, the 50% reduction of those living in extreme poverty would be more than halved, as many as 300 million more people would remain in extreme poverty and experience malnutrition. Under low growth scenarios, smaller reductions in the extreme poverty rate would occur and fewer new entrants would join the global middle class. An expanding global middle class. Middle classes most everywhere in the developing world are poised to expand substantially in terms of both absolute numbers and the percentage of the population that can claim middle class status during the next 15 to 20 years. Even the most conservative models see a rise in the global total of those living in the middle class from the current 1 billion or so to over 2 billion people see even more substantial rises with, for example, the global middle class reaching 3 billion people by 2030. All the analyses we reviewed suggest that the most rapid growth of the middle class will occur in Asia, with India somewhat ahead of China over the long term. According to the Asian Development Bank, if China, quote, achieves the new plan target of increasing household expenditures at least as rapidly as GDP, the size of its middle class will explode, with 75% of China's population enjoying middle class standards, and $2 a day poverty will be substantially wiped out, end quote. Goldman Sachs, in its study of the global middle class, underlined that even not counting China and India, quote, new middle-class entrants would still be larger than the world has seen for many decades, end quote. Multiple studies project that the rate of growth in the size of Africa's middle class will be faster than elsewhere in the rapidly developing world, but the base is now very low. Establishing the threshold for determining when someone is middle-class versus climbing out of poverty is difficult particularly because the calculations rely on the use of purchasing power parity. Most new members of the middle class in 2030 will be at the lower end of the spectrum. 
their per capita incomes will be still rated as poor by Western standards, even though they will have begun to acquire the trappings of middle-class status. Growth in the number of those living in the top half of the range of this new middle class, which is likely to be more in line with Western middle-class standards, will be substantial, rising from 330 million in 2010 to 679 million in 2030. Much of the future global leadership is likely to come from this segment. The rapid growth of the middle class has important implications. Demand for consumer goods, including cars, rises sharply with the growth of the middle class. The Goldman Sachs study indicated that resource constraints are likely to be, quote, arguably tighter than they were in late 19th century Europe and the U.S., end quote, when the middle class has also made enormous gains. More generally, values shift and demand for sociopolitical change rises as more individuals move up into the middle class. Historically, the rise of middle classes has led to populism and dictatorships, as well as pressures for greater democracy. The value of $12,000 GDP per capita income is sometimes considered to be the level above which democracies do not revert to authoritarian systems. With the expansion of the middle class, income inequalities, which have been a striking characteristic of the rising developing states, may begin to lessen in the developing world. Even if the Gini coefficients, which are used to measure inequalities, decline in many developing countries, they are still unlikely to approach the level of many current European countries like Germany and Finland, where inequality is relatively low. Quote, all the analyses we reviewed suggest that the most rapid growth of the middle class will occur in Asia, with India somewhat ahead of China, end quote. That said, a perception of great inequality will remain, particularly between urban and rural dwellers, motivating a growing number of rural dwellers to migrate to the cities to seek economic opportunities. Their chances of becoming richer will be substantially greater in cities, but the increasing migration to urban areas will mean at least an initial expansion in the slums and the specter of poverty. If new middle-class entrants find it difficult to cling to their new status and are pulled back toward impoverishment, they will pressure governments for change. Rising expectations that are frustrated have historically been a powerful driver of political turmoil. The increase in the overall numbers of the middle class worldwide disguises growing pressures on the middle class in Western economies. The share of global middle class consumers from the U.S. will decline and be dwarfed by the wave of new middle class consumers in the developing world. Slower economic growth among many OECD countries will further ingrain the perception of a struggling Western middle class that also faces greater competition from an increasingly global employment market, including competition for jobs requiring higher skills. Some estimates, for example, see middle class consumption in North America and Europe only rising by 0.6% a year over the next couple of decades. In contrast, 
spending by middle-class Asian consumers could rise 9% a year through 2030, according to Asian Development Bank estimates. Education and the Gender Gap The educational sector is likely to be both the motor and beneficiary of expanding middle classes. The economic status of individuals and countries will greatly depend on their levels of education. The average years of completed formal education in the Middle East and North Africa are likely to rise from about 7.1 to more than 8.7 years. Moreover, the level for women in that region could rise from 5.0 to 7.0 years. Women throughout much of the world are steadily narrowing the gap with men in years of formal education and have moved ahead in enrollment and completion rates in upper middle and higher income countries. The closing of the gender gap on educational attainment and health outcomes as well during the past couple decades has had limited effect, however, on narrowing differences on economic participation and political empowerment. Increased entry and retention of women in the workplace will be a key driver of success for many countries, boosting economic productivity and mitigating the impacts of aging. Better governance could also be a spin-off of greater political involvement of women, as some studies suggest participation of women in parliament or senior government positions correlates stronger with lower corruption. According to the World Economic Forum's Global Gender Gap Index, only 60% of the economic gap and only 20% of the political one have been closed globally in 2012. No country has completely closed the economic participation or the political empowerment gap, but the Nordic countries have come closest to gender equality. Their cases are instructive of the time and effort involved in achieving parity. Most Nordic countries enfranchised women relatively early in the early 20th century, and many political parties introduced voluntary gender quotas in the 1970s. The quotas have led to a high number of women parliamentarians and political leaders in those societies. The Nordic countries also have promoted high female employment participation rates through generous childcare and maternity policies, which has contributed to higher birth rates. Looking ahead to 2030 using the International Futures model suggests that pace of change will continue to be slow in all regions. The Middle East, South Asia, and Sub-Saharan which start from a relatively low base of economic and political gender parity, will continue to lag other regions. The fastest pace in closing the gender gap is likely to be in East Asia and Latin America. The gap almost certainly will remain significantly narrower in high-income countries in North America and Europe in 2030, where the gap is already smaller than elsewhere. How Social Media Are Accelerating the Process of Individual Empowerment Muslim women have historically lagged in educational skills and integration into the market economy. More recently, they have become prolific users and consumers of social media. 
Although some data points to a connection between online participation and radicalization of Muslim women, indications of female empowerment and solidarity are far more plentiful. Muslim women are using online communities to reach beyond their everyday social networks into safe spaces to discuss such issues as women's rights, gender equity, and the role of women within Islamic law. Participation in online and social media platforms hinges on income, literacy, and access. As these expand by 2030, a growing number of Muslim women are likely to participate in online forums, potentially affecting their societies and governance. Role of Communications Technologies Emerging technologies such as second-generation wireless communications, smartphones, are also likely to accelerate the empowerment of individuals, introducing new capabilities to the developing world in particular. The second wave of wireless communications engenders a reduced need for developing countries to invest in and build expansive, costly communications infrastructures. Such technologies will reduce the urban-rural split that characterized first-wave technologies, especially in developing countries. The spread of smartphones in Africa during the past few years, 65% of the continent's population now has access to them, has been particularly impressive. Now millions of Africans are connected to the internet and the outside world, and they are using such technologies to mitigate deep-seated problems such as waterborne illness, which has slowed development. For example, an innovative program in western Kenya to distribute water filters and stop the use of contaminated water involved using smartphones to monitor changes in behavior. Improving Health By 2030, we expect to see continued progress on health, including extending the quality of life for those aging. Even in the face of the HIV-AIDS epidemic, the global disease burden has been shifting rapidly for several decades from communicable to non-communicable diseases. Absent a virulent pandemic, global deaths from all communicable diseases, including AIDS, diarrhea, malaria, and respiratory infections, are projected to decline by nearly 30% by 2030, according to our modeling and other studies. AIDS appears to have hit its global peak around 2 million deaths per year in 2004. Great strides are being made toward wiping out malaria, but past periods of progress have sometimes given way in the face of donor fatigue and growing disease resistance to treatment. Nevertheless, in sub-Saharan Africa, where the provision of healthcare services has traditionally been weak, we believe the declining total deaths from communicable diseases and the increasing number from non-communicable causes, such as from heart disease, will cross over in about 2030. Quote, By 2030, we expect to see continued progress on health, including extending the quality of life for those aging. End quote. Elsewhere, even in other parts of the developing world, deaths from chronic maladies, 
such as cardiovascular disease, cancer, and diabetes, have been preponderant for some time, and the ongoing progress globally against non-communicable or chronic diseases has resulted in longer life expectancy. With the dramatic reduction of infant and child mortality due to the continued success against communicable diseases and maternal and perinatal diseases, life expectancy in the developing world almost certainly will improve. However, a significant gap in life expectancy will most likely remain between rich and poor countries. A more conflicted ideological landscape. A world of surging middle classes, varying economic potentials, and more diffuse power will also exhibit an increasingly diverse ideological landscape. The economics of globalization have spread the West's ideas of scientific reason, individualism, secular government, and primacy of law to societies seeking the West's material progress, but reluctant to sacrifice their cultural identities and political traditions. Managing the intensifying interaction of traditional political, religious, and cultural norms with the ideologies of the globalizing West will be a core challenge for many rapidly developing societies, affecting prospects for global and domestic governance and economic performance through 2030. Amid this fluid ideological landscape, the West's conception of secular modernity will not necessarily provide the dominant underlying values of the international system. The persistence, if not growth and deepening, of religious identity, growing environmental concerns, and resource constraints, and the empowerment of individuals through new communications technologies are already providing alternative narratives for global politics. As non-Western societies continue their economic transformation, the prospect of a retrenchment along religious, ethnic, cultural, and nationalistic lines could fuel dysfunction and fragmentation within societies. Alternatively, the intersection of Western ideas with emerging states could generate, particularly over time, new hybrid ideologies that facilitate collaboration in an expanding number of areas, leading to increased economic output and greater consensus on global governance issues. The recent EU Global Trends study using global survey data saw more convergence than divergence in norms and values as diverse peoples confront similar economic and political challenges. The role assigned to religion by the state and society probably will be at the center of these ideological debates within and across societies. Religion, especially Islam, has strengthened as a key force in global politics owing to global increases in democratization and political freedoms that have allowed religious voices to be heard, as well as advanced communications technologies and the failure of governments to deliver services that religious groups can provide. 
the ability of religious organizations to define norms for governance in religious terms and to mobilize followers on economic and social justice issues during a period of global economic upheaval is likely to raise the prominence of religious ideas and beliefs in global politics. In this new era, religious ideas, actors, and institutions are likely to be increasingly influential among elites and publics globally. Nationalism is another force that is likely to intensify, particularly in regions such as East Asia, where there are unresolved territorial disputes and countries' fortunes may be rapidly changing. Moreover, many developing and fragile states, such as in Sub-Saharan Africa, face increasing strains from resource constraints and climate change, pitting different tribal and ethnic groups against one another and accentuating the separation of various identities. Ideology is likely to be particularly powerful and socially destructive when the need for basic resources exacerbates already existing tensions between tribal, ethnic, religious, and national groups. Urbanization, once expected to encourage secularization, is contributing instead, in some settings, to increased expressions of religious identity. Immigrants to cities, mostly Muslims in Europe and Russia, for example, are coalescing along religious lines. Urbanization is driving demands for social services provided by religious organizations, an opening that Islamic and Christian activists have been effective in using to bolster religious cohesion and leverage. Pandemics, unanswered questions. Scientists are just beginning to recognize the amount of viral chatter that is occurring worldwide, discovering previously unknown pathogens in humans that sporadically make the jump from animals to humans. Examples include a prion disease in cattle that jumped in the 1980s to cause variant Kreutzelt-Jakob disease in humans, a bat henipavirus that in 1999 became known as Nipah virus in humans, and a bat coronavirus that jumped to humans in 2002 to cause SARS. Human and livestock population growth and encroachment into jungles increases human exposure to these previously rare crossovers. No one can predict which pathogen will be the next to start spreading to humans, or when or where such a development will occur, but humans will continue to be vulnerable to pandemics, most of which will probably originate in animals. An easily transmissible novel respiratory pathogen that kills or incapacitates more than 1% of its victims is among the most disruptive events possible. Unlike other disruptive global events, such an outbreak would result in a global pandemic that directly causes suffering and death in every corner of the world, probably in less than six months. Unfortunately, this is not a hypothetical threat. 
History is replete with examples of pathogens sweeping through populations that lack pre-existing immunity, causing political and economic upheaval and determining the outcomes of wars and civilizations. Examples include the Black Death that killed a third of Europeans, measles and smallpox in the Americas that may have killed 90% of the native population, and the 1918 influenza pandemic that decimated certain populations, including sickening more than 15% of German forces in June 1918. The WHO has described one such pandemic, an influenza pandemic, as, quote, the epidemiological equivalent of a flash flood, end quote. The WHO states, quote, pandemics have started abruptly without warning, swept through populations globally with ferocious velocity, and left considerable damage in their wake, end quote. Novel pandemic pathogens that spread more slowly, but are just as deadly, if not more so, such as HIV-AIDS, are just as likely to emerge by 2030. In fact, such a slow-moving pathogen with pandemic potential may have already jumped into humans somewhere, but the pathogen and disease manifestations may not be recognized yet. This was the case for HIV-AIDS, which entered the human population more than a half century before it was recognized and the pathogen identified. New discoveries in the biological sciences hold promise for more rapidly identifying pathogens and developing targeted therapeutics and vaccines. However, such advances may be inadequate to keep up with the threat. Drug-resistant forms of diseases previously considered conquered such as tuberculosis, gonorrhea, and Staphylococcus aureus could become widespread, markedly increasing healthcare costs and returning large segments of populations to the equivalent of the pre-antibiotic era. Advances in genetic engineering by 2030 may enable tens of thousands of individuals to synthesize and release novel pathogens, compounding the already formidable naturally occurring threat. Megatrend two, diffusion of power. The diffusion of power among countries and from countries to informal networks will have a dramatic impact by 2030, largely reversing the historic rise of the West since 1750 and restoring Asia's weight in the global economy and world politics. In a tectonic shift by 2030, Asia will have surpassed North America and Europe combined in terms of global power based upon GDP, population size, military spending, and technological investment. China alone will probably have the largest economy, surpassing that of the United States a few years before 2030. Meanwhile, the economies of Europe, Japan, and Russia 
are likely to continue their slow relative declines. Just as important, the economies of other non-Western states, such as Colombia, Egypt, Indonesia, Iran, South Africa, Mexico, Turkey, and others that are middle tier today, could rise by 2030. Individually, most of these countries will remain second-order players because China and India are so large. However, as a collective group, they will begin to surpass Europe, Japan, and Russia in terms of global power by 2030. Our modeling shows, for example, that this group of rapidly developing middle-tier countries, the Goldman Sachs Next 11, will collectively overtake the EU 27 in global power by 2030. When this second tier is combined with the non-Western giants of China and India, the shift of power from the West to the emerging or non-Western world is even more pronounced. The enormity of this shift in national power is reflected in the number of regional power transitions that will be ongoing by 2030. Some of the more dynamic will occur outside of Asia, where China and India are already consolidating their regional positions. In 2030, China's GDP, for example, is likely to be about 140% larger than Japan's. As the world's largest economic power, China is expected to remain ahead of India, but the gap could begin to close by 2030. India's rate of economic growth is likely to rise, while China's slows. In 2030, India could be the rising economic powerhouse that China is seen to be today. China's current economic growth rate, 8 to 10 percent, will probably be a distant memory by 2030. The total size of the Chinese working age population will peak in 2016 and decline from 994 million to about 961 million in 2030. In contrast, India's working age population is unlikely to peak until about 2050. Also of significance, India will most likely continue to consolidate its power advantage relative to Pakistan. India's economy is already nearly eight times as large as Pakistan's. By 2030, that ratio could easily be more than 16 to 1. In Africa, Egypt, Ethiopia, and Nigeria have the potential to approach or surpass South Africa in overall national power, but the key will be better governance to further economic growth and social and human development. In Southeast Asia, Vietnam's regional power will grow, approaching by 2030 Thailand. Vietnam benefits from a steady growth in GDP per capita, while Thailand has been subject to erratic drop and surge GDP per capita growth patterns. In Latin America, 
The next 15 years probably will confirm Brazil's position as the Colossus of the South, increasing its position relative to Mexico and Colombia, despite these countries' overall good growth prospects. In Europe, Germany is likely to remain the leader of the other 26 EU countries because of its economic growth prospects, but will be challenged by an aging population. By 2030, Russia faces a steep population drop, about 10 million people, a greater decline than any other country during that time frame. However, depending on its economic growth rates and immigration, Russia could retain its current global power share. Aggregate power of developing states set to surpass U.S. power by 2030. The main discussion refers to a global power index based upon GDP, population size, military spending, and technology, which we have used in previous Global Trends works. Recently, we have contributed to the development of a new global power index, which incorporates a broader array of elements relevant to 21st century power, including health, education, and governance. Using the new index, China's and India's share of global power increase, but at a slower pace than projected by the other index. Using the earlier four-pronged power index, China's share of national power equals the U.S. share in 2030. Using the new index, China's share is four to five percentage points below the U.S. share. Using the new broader power index, Europe, EU 27, ranks much closer to the U.S. than in the previous index. Using either index, the aggregate power of developing states overtakes that of all developed states, including the U.S., by 2030. The share of global power held by the EU, Japan, and less so Russia decreases under both indices. Our modeling also indicates that many of the currently vulnerable or fragile states such as Afghanistan, Democratic Republic of Congo, and Somalia, are likely to remain highly vulnerable during the next 15 to 20 years. These countries will most likely continue to have weak governance, security, and economic performance while facing demographic and environmental challenges. The rise and fall of countries, not the same old story. The rapid change of various countries' fortunes, as much as the changes themselves, will put stresses based on countries' conduct with one another and internally as expectations about the position of one's own country in the overall international setup are realized or dashed. A number of countries will pass through inflection points in the period out to 2030 their global power will either level off or the rate of increase of their global power will slow. Not only China and the United States, but also Europe, Japan, and Russia may be passing through inflection points, which will translate into added stress on the international system. For example, 
Although China's global power will continue increasing, the rate of increase will slow. In the power cycle model developed by academics, when the rate of a country's increasing power starts to slow or level off, countries are likely to become fearful and more assertive. Historically, the rate of change has been far slower for transitions in the power structure. China's and India's current economic rises, for example, dwarf all the previous ones of Britain, 19th century, and the U.S. and Japan, 20th century. Previous only one or two countries have been rising at a time, shaking the international system rather than reordering it wholesale in a compressed time frame. The Limits of Hard Power in the World of 2030 The shift in national power is only half the story and may be overshadowed by an even more fundamental shift in the nature of power. By 2030, no country, whether the U.S., China, or any other large country, will be a hegemonic power. Enabled by communications technologies, power almost certainly will shift more toward multifaceted and amorphous networks composed of state and non-state actors that will form to influence global policies on various issues. Leadership of such networks will be a function of position, enmeshment, diplomatic skill, and constructive demeanor. Networks will constrain policymakers because multiple players will be able to block policymakers' actions at numerous points. Although we believe that worldwide norms may converge toward greater democratic governance, tackling global challenges might become more vexing because of the multiplicity of actors, including non-state ones, and their dissimilar views. Those countries to the northwest of the line are punching above their weight in hard power. In the next 20 years, we expect many of the middle powers to rise above the line as both their hard and soft powers increase. Factors used to determine diplomatic weight include intergovernmental and UN treaties to which the country is a party and diplomatic connections and alliances. Considerable weight accrues to countries with both material and diplomatic power, such as the U.S. and China, but such countries will be unlikely to get their way without state and non-state partners. Technology will continue to be the great leveler. The future internet moguls, as with today's Google or Facebook, sit on mountains of data and have more real-time information at their fingertips than most governments. As these mountains of data are used to improve knowledge of human motivations, non-state actors, such as private companies, will be able to influence behavior on as large a scale as state actors. Quote, the shift in national power is only half the story and may be overshadowed by an even more fundamental shift in the nature of power. Enabled by communications technologies, power almost certainly will shift more toward multifaceted and amorphous networks composed of state and non-state actors. 
end quote. As the power of non-state actors increases, achieving legitimacy will become a more important and crucial test for them, especially those seen to wield enormous power. Just as governments are likely to come under growing pressure to become more accountable from a more highly connected citizenry, non-state actors will have to prove their worth to the public by pointing to positive outcomes resulting from the use of their power. Good intentions will not be enough. One could anticipate a dual-pronged movement of more state regulation on bad actors, such as hackers, while more political space opens for individuals with positive motives. End of section two. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island.